Pierce Parks Associates Smart Tech Check podcast with Mark Vina. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, leader of Parks Associates Smart Home Research Practice, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all consumer tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, console gaming, and much, much more. Today is Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. Another interesting and big week in tech, so we've got lots to chat about today uh, on the roster for today's podcast are my usual partners in crime, uh, John Quain, our resident uh, journalist who writes for the New York Times and Tom's Guide, Stuart Walpin, who writes for Twice and Techlicious, and Rob Pecorero, who writes for USA Today and Fast Company, and Wirecutter is out on another assignment. Again, I'm always shocked when... One of these esteemed journalists, you know, actually want to make a living and don't want to get on my podcast, but I, I, I can tolerate them. So anyway, gentlemen, good afternoon from San Jose, California. How are you? Good afternoon. Uh, the Mets are in third place, so I'm only so I'm only so so. Well, I, I was actually in New York over the weekend helping my mom. Um, uh, she's in the process of moving down to South. She sold she sold her home in New Jersey. She's moving down to South Carolina to an assisted living place. And I actually got a chance because I was in New York for all of like 72 hours to see a Yankee game in person. It was on Sunday, Stuart. And I almost got pneumonia you know, <laughs> uh, because it rained on and off. And, yep. and as I told the, the buddies that I were with, they were going to play that game if a, if a torrential storm whipped through Yankee Stadium because right. it's, you know, the next three weeks are going to be pretty big uh, in the, the American League East. But um, – I still have some hope for the Mets. You know, they could still come back. You know, stranger things have happened. John, yeah. how, John, how was your Labor Day weekend? Anything exciting? Good. No, I was I was in the ensconced in the country, so just taking care of chores in the country and cooking and uh, working and doing the usual country living stuff. So I I enjoyed it. I mean, Sunday was a little gloomy, but uh, hey, you know, at least it's not a drought. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And Saturday was uh, Saturday was beautiful. It was gorgeous. At least, at least in the Prince of New Jersey area where my mom is. But anyway, let's get to our factoid of the week from Park Associates. Um, this is really an interesting data point because um, we presented, I presented last week on this data at uh, our uh, Connected Healthcare uh, Summit that we uh, we did. And I uh, don't know if you had a chance to um, to kind of react to this, but I certainly want to get your reaction to this. It probably won't be surprising. And it's kind of interesting data since Apple is supposedly going to announce new um, uh, smartwatches next week. But, uh, you know, our research indicates that 73% of current caregivers are likely to buy an independent living solution for their loved ones. And among these, in, what we like to call intenders, that people who haven't bought yet but are planning to buy, uh, 28% are planning to acquire a smartwatch, um, which is probably not uh, surprising. 25% are looking at PERS solutions as a personal emergency response system product, like a life alert uh, type of product. And um, 25% are even now looking at these uh, professionally installed smart home sensors. And there's all there's all different flavors of them. Those are could be sensors that make you look, uh, will notify you if there's a fire or there's a... Um, a uh, CO2 problem in your house, or some of the more advanced ones now have fall down detection if you put these sensors in your home. And even 22% um, of these folks are looking at smart uh, display solutions. And those are, you know, let, um, Amazon, Ec uh, not Echo, but the, um, the devices that Amazon has with the built-in display. 
right. Facebook has the portal uh, solution. So pretty strong numbers, you know, frankly, from a, uh, well, we like to say the smart home play in the connected home space. But, you know, Stuart, let me start with you. Any surprises? In this data, this, well, this no, it's not. It's not surprising. It's just a lot of this data sometimes is is so general that it it's hard to really pin down. Um, I, I attended. My mother had her ninety fifth birthday a couple of months ago, and so of course the house was filled with, as we in the business called Elta Cacas, and um, many of them were talking about that their sons or daughters were forcing them to buy smart watches that they didn't understand. Um, and there was also the complaint by a lot of them that they thought that Big Brother had come to visit them. So again, as with all technology being generational, it's very hard for the, the silver-haired set to really accept technology to replace their sons and daughters coming to take care of them. Luckily, my mother has um, my uh, younger brother living very close nearby, and he's retired. So, so they spend a lot of time together. But I think a lot of a lot of older folks who are teetering between independent living and and not independent living would rather rely on their live relatives or even live in help to help them out rather than machines only because of the age in which they were born and the society in which they were raised in. So the intent to buy thing, is that is that from those folks? Is that I, I'm forced to do it? Or is that sort of intent to buy by their sons and daughters who live across the, on the other side of the country and have no other choice uh, if their parent wants to stay where they are? Right. The caregivers are going to buy. So it is the relative and stuff. But, you know, it's part of this is just the way things are going. Right. This is unavoidable, ineluctable. It's just happening. I use a program myself because I'm on my own. A lot of the time traveling and stuff, I use a program that I check in. And if I don't check in, uh, a friend or relative will see I haven't checked in and will start mm -hmm. querying to see where I am if something's happened to me. It's just, it's just, I have a helmet, a bicycle helmet that does the same thing. The minute I start riding, it knows where I am. And if there's an accident, it's going to alert my emergency contact and send them a text and stuff. And I just think that's going to be part of everyday life. Young, old, you know, doesn't matter anymore. Um, and the pandemic has just kind of heightened that. It's like, I may not be able to come over and see a grandma because I may be in another state and be quarantined, you know, who knows? So, but, but, you know, John, you know, you know, what's interesting is that there, you know, Stuart talked about the, the general, uh, the, the um, generational, generational uh, attribute of technology. There is this kind of stereotype that, you know, again, just to use broad characterizations, you know, the, unless you're 30 years old or younger, you don't use smart home technology or you're not a, a smartphone user. Our data, believe it or not, shows that uh, 65 and above, 73% of that audience now have smartphones. Now, you got to chunk it out a little bit. You know, you got to look at 65 to 70, 70, 75, and those numbers actually taper down the older that you get. Um, but that's a pretty stunning number, you know, that over 70% have, have, have a smartphone if you're 65 or more. I agree that if someone's 85 years old, you know, they're probably not a smartphone user. But, you know, the, the baby boomers now are in that, you know, plus 60 range, you know. And, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm on the edge of the – I'm a baby boomer. I'm on the edge of it. I suspect that you two 
are as well. And uh, you're pretty technology savvy. I, you know, you, you know, you. you uh, I think you've had a smartphone or two uh, in your life. But I get paid for being tech savvy. You know, I, I, in my poker game, I can't tell you the. I don't want to call them stupid questions, but the stupid questions I get from people who are younger than I am. And, and I'm well advanced in age, even if I uh, if my skin remains smooth. It's that Brazil thing. I lift up all the time. Um, but amongst my non-getting-paid-to-no-tech peers, I had, a, I had a friend of mine who's concerned about security. He saw that John Oliver thing. I think I might have mentioned this. He, he keeps his passwords in a spreadsheet, but his computer isn't password-protected. And it's like... You know, to tell somebody of, and he's a smart guy, but this is what we're dealing with. Just because they own these devices is not any indication that they understand or use the device. But, but Stuart, the other thing I would tell you, going back to that password observation, I know a lot of smart people who will go nameless, who you, who are very senior people at very senior technology companies, and that's the way they maintain their passwords, or in a Word document, which yeah. is not secure, which I... You know, that's, a, that's another podcast. You know, you want to explode your yeah, head. My head exploded. So, John, yeah, let, me well, give you the let me give you the last word before we go into, the, to the, our next topic. Oh, well, I was thinking that, you know, a lot of these older people now um, don't don't write them off. I mean, there's just uh, there's an increasing catering to a new generation of influencers. And those influencers are over 75 years old. <laughs> Those are the new TikTok users. Those are the new influencers. They're going, uh, you know what? There's going to be this huge market of people. Uh, maybe we should be appealing to them. And you've got some people doing gardening tips and all sorts of things that are taking off. So uh, I think you'd be surprised at how many people over the age of 75 are using this stuff now. No, and I also say just to close on this, we've done some very interesting research in this connected healthcare, connected, you know, smart homes play in the connected home area. And a very... A significant portion of the audience is willing to pay incremental dollars from a monthly service fee for remote, remote monitoring, you know, value-add services. Now, again, a lot of that comes from caregivers, from families. Hey, I want to be connected with my family. You know, I will. You know, data point of one. The reason why I got my mom a um, an Apple Watch several years ago was the fall down detection and the cellular connectivity. You know, that is technically a monitoring service. You know, she falls down and she has fallen down. <laughs> I know instantly where she is and, you know, I can get a hold of her. So I, I think this part of this is becoming a, a part of the fabric of getting older. And I think it's a welcome um, element. Uh, certainly there are, you know, privacy issues and all kinds of other issues we could talk about all day long. But it, it just shows that technology now is starting to, you know, um, satisfy the the needs of of, of the um, the elderly um, as they um, really have the, uh, to maximize their quality of life as they get older. But let's as, let's, as, as long as it's complementary, yes, as opposed to a replacement for I, human interaction. I agree. I agree. Let it flip to the next top first topic. I should say, and I had to drop this one in. Um, sure. You know, backpedal yeah. is that is that a fair word? Now the interesting <laughs> thing is. You know, and Apple, of course, would never say they backpedal. They don't backpedal on anything. But I get the feeling, and you guys, have, I'm sure, have read a lot of the press over the last week. Um, and, it, you know, it got, it got some press, but it didn't get a lot. I don't know whether it was glee or whether, okay, the, the um, Apple capitulated on this. 
Apple hasn't shut it down completely because I don't know whether Apple believes was this a messaging problem or is it or do they think they've erred in terms of their implementation of the technology because those are two different things. So I know Stuart's chomping at the bit to say something about this. So I will turn this over to Stuart. Well, I have two points. Point number one: those of us who have covered technology for years know that this is this is just. A, a case, another giant case of because they can do something, they didn't consider if they should do something. This is this has been rampant in technology for as long as any of us have been covering technology that these companies think because they, they have the capability of doing it that they should do it. And there this is just a giant hiccup. This is this should be abandoned absolutely. The mm -hmm. second point is, it just occurred to me how this relates, and this might sound odd on the surface, how this relates to the law, the anti-abortion law that Texas just passed. Uh, apparently, legal people are looking at fighting the law, especially the bounty hunting part of it, or especially the bounty hunting part of it, based on a Supreme Court ruling that says that private entities cannot be enabled to to perform government oversight or government enforcement. And what Apple is doing here is clearly a case of a public company taking on the role of a governmental law enforcement agency. And in that way, I think that not only does this reek of big brotherhood, but they may be on very shaky legal ground, especially as the legal um, um, forces gather to attack the bounty aspect of the Texas abortion law. So those two things may be related, that Apple may have to drop this, not because this is just a bad thing, but because they can't be put in the position of enforcing the law. Mm -hmm. John? Yeah, I don't, yes, I don't, I don't think it's defensible in terms of Apple being able to do this. I mean, starting to sift through and sort through and search through everyone's photographs is just, you know, prima facie, just on the face of it, a bad idea. No matter what your intentions might be, um, you know, it, it, it's just a bad idea. There's also enough to contend with uh, of things that people do all the time online. Um, in terms of transmitting this material and that sort of thing. But I, I just, I don't see how they can defend this position going forward. Now, it may become what a lot of legal experts will tell you too. If people accept it, then it will become the norm and then you won't have that expectation of privacy anymore. So it, it may be in five years from now, attitudes will change like they have about video cameras being everywhere, everywhere you go. Uh, that may change as well. But uh, at the moment, it doesn't seem like a defensible thing. They said they're just delaying it, but uh, I'd be surprised if they roll it out. Yeah, you know, you know, my thought on this is that, it, bad analogy, and you guys may laugh at this analogy, it's kind of like um, the pullout from Afghanistan. Everybody agrees that getting out of Africa, for the most part, most of the population, Americans believe that it's probably a good idea for us. We've spent 20 years there, it's time for us to leave. But the way that it was done and the way it was executed, yeah, probably could have done a lot we could have done a lot better job, regardless of your political persuasion. I think most Americans believe that uh, that's not the best we could do. And um, I, you know, I am obviously concerned about this, you know the the whole 
approach that it's not it has nothing to do with probable cause i mean everybody get essentially if you've got a photo on your phone you're going to get scanned you know for this information even though they may not be looking at the image per se it, it, it's got some type of serial number signature that they can match into a database and i and and Stuart, i'd like to point you made and that the fact is it, it kind of sounds like you know apple internally want to do something desperately about this problem which is noble they want to combat it because smartphones are our device to to capture and, and and disseminate a lot of this um uh very very wrong illegal and awful co content but at the same time the way they went about it is this the is this the right way it's just, it was just one it was it assumed that because they could that they had the right to do it Mm -hmm. And it co it completely contradicts their whole message about privacy. If 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 we if you're not going to let law enforcement get into your phone, like the San Bernardino killings, and and and, um, and Apple wouldn't give the FBI the key to the phone even if they had it, but Apple itself could get into your phone. That's that's just from a messaging point of view, forget the purpose. Um, that's a ridiculous message to send out that we're going to keep your stuff private except from us. Well, I'll give you, I want to give John the last word, but I, I hope it's not a messaging thing. You know, that happens a lot of companies. Hey, you know what? We're, we were, we were right in terms of trying to roll this out. We just, we just did this a, a poor job of rolling this out from a messaging standpoint. I mean, I, I've worked for some big companies that happens all the time, you know, that people, they, 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 they think it's a messaging problem and not, hey, should we have done this in the first place? John, I'll, I'll give you the last word. Right. For me, it's exactly what uh, Stuart just said. Look, if you're claiming that you're protecting people's privacy when you're not, that's just doesn't seem right at all. And also there's just the basic constitutional rights against unreasonable search and seizure. You can't go searching through everybody's bedroom. You can't go searching through everybody's drawers without any probable cause at all, which is exactly what they're proposing to do. So, yeah, I think it's a problem. So, um, it, you know, noble cause, there are lots of things we'd like to prevent. Need to find a different way to do it. This isn't the way to go about it. Well, as a dedicated Yankee fan, I would not want to search uh, Stewart's office because there would be so much mess memorabilia. It would make me sick to my stomach. So I don't want to have any exposure to what, what you see what's really behind me. Uh, uh, well, thank God for privacy laws. All right, let, 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 let's flip to the next uh, topic here. John, this was yours, um, yeah. but it's an interesting topic. <laughs> and I'd like you to, do, I don't know whether it's gotten, you know, I, I, I've read a couple of pieces on this, but I want you to do some um, background on this for those people who are not aware of this, this code bias um, suspicion that people uh, that seems to be uh, um, occurring with some of the TikTok filters. Right. Well, it, it comes down to, you know, there's a basic uh, theory and uh, problem with algorithmic bias. Basically, you create an algorithm and it's a program that's just going to look at and typically a bunch of images and learn something, try to find something, commonality, like pick out every chair you see in the photograph, with, which actually is something most computers still can't do very well. Mm -hmm. um, but it's great in facial recognition, for example. You train them on data sets of photographs. Coming back to the privacy issue again, taking your photograph without your permission generally and using it in these data sets. Well, it depends. It's only as good as the data set you use, and it's only as good as the algorithm that you use. 
so of course that's where this coded bias comes in because most of the faces will be male most of the faces will be caucasian when they first did these data sets and so they've tried to make adjustments over the past few years but the TikTok filters are just another kind of tool that you use and a lot of TikTok users now i have to credit my daughter pointed this out this is something that uh you know teenage girls were using on their faces to adjust beauty makeup you could do you can actually do the different colored eyes on one of the filters things like that and some of these people pointed out gee it only seems to work on certain faces or it only seems to work on thinner faces and some of these biases are, are creeping out and then it was of course the the facebook uh pretty awful one this week where some people of color were in a in a video or image and they were listed tagged as being primates you know that that's like that's why you don't use ai programs to do stuff like that where you you need a human being to look at these things anyway well, that, so i well, just thought it was interesting with these the people like what's beautiful and what's not yeah well the facebook thing that that obviously bothers me but going back to the TikTok situation where is the, uh, yeah, it, let's assume for the sake of argument, it's just bad algorithms or, or immature algorithms that are, 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 are not working properly. What's the damage? I mean, what, what's the, the, the practical, from a TikTok standpoint? Oh, well, other, than, well, other than the fact that certain filters are not, are not being applied to, are, are being applied uh, erroneously. Well, the, the concern is that it reinforces stereotypes. So certain cultures, mm -hmm. you know, a very light skin, um, a certain shape of the eye is what's more attractive. And so the filter in that country will sort of beautify your image that way. Whereas, you know, most Caucasian people want a little bit of a tan. They actually want more color in their skin and, and bigger eyelashes, things like that. So it, it reinforces the stereotypes that people have. Uh, you know, human nature is what it is, but it, it is a little disturbing when you see it work on some faces and not on other faces mm. to get my drift. Uh, Stuart, your uh, thoughts? Well, this is just this and the Facebook ridiculousness are just signs of a much larger issue. This is not the fault of the filters or the algorithms. This is the fault of the coders. The coders tend to be white guys, and they come from middle or upper middle class homes. So the, it's, the filters are only reflecting the people who are coding them to begin with. There was a whole film on this called Coded Bias, right. very clever title. Um, the filmmaker is named, and I'm going to screw up the pronunciation of her name, it's Shalina Kanaya or Kantaya. I believe the film is available on Netflix, and it is an expansive look at how coded bias happens and it's not the technology it's who's got their hands and who's used who's who's creating the technology and the film has garnered enough and this topic has gotten enough um, attention especially this week that i believe congress has ordered a special viewing of the film because this is one of the topics that they're looking over as they as they look over these tech giants and the powers that they're having and coded bias is it's just becoming a more and more in-your-face issue, you'll excuse the pun, um, in, in terms of how people use computers, the growing use of artificial intelligence and machine learning. The machines only know what they're told, and who's telling them is what's causing all of these problems. Right. It's, uh, it's 
Yeah, and, and you know, some students at NYU, for example, are looking at um, that I was talking to in graduate school um, at some of the issues too. It goes far beyond like facial recognition. It goes into judicial judgments. So, for example, you come up to the judge, and the judge takes a look at you and has never met you before, and looks at your case and says, "Should I give you the minimum or the maximum?" And the, there's a program that's out there that they actually use to make some of those decisions and say, oh, look at him, his background. It's the data set they use and say, ah, he's likely to uh, you know, offend again. And if I'm likely to offend again to that program, ah, five years from me, I get the maximum. Now, you know, these programs are, it's true, they're only as good as the information they get too. So it's, they're working with very limited data sets, right? And that's, the problem, even if you program a billion photographs into there, they're never going to be as good right now as the technology stands as any one of us making that same identification. So, you know, it's a very immature technology, but people are looking at it as a shortcut to handle some of these things. And that's where we get into these weird situations and, and bad situations, actually. Right. Well, and, and just to put, wrap a bow around this topic as well, is that the, the, um, the implications for these filters, put, put TikTok aside or Facebook aside, and other um, usage models, right. e-commerce, for example, where an image could be used, the filter on the image could be used to prevent, hey, I think this audience would prefer this type of offer versus the other person. So there's an exclusionary type of impact or an inclusionary type of impact that could be uh, bias-based. But it's certainly I mean, the, the example that you referenced in that, you know, in some type of crazy construct, you you know, if this technology was used for making a determination on the adjudication in, in some type of legal uh, case, like a criminal case for that matter, I mean, th that this kind of technology is already being used, you know, with jury selection. I mean, when they look at different people, how would they, you know, based on biases, how would they vote in a particular, uh, how would they um, interpret a particular case? So th th there's... Uh, there's a lot to be said here, and uh, I suspect we will we will not hear the last of it, and we'll be talking about this again. Uh, but very interesting topic to bring up. Uh, let's should bring up the next topic. Yep, I was kind of. This is kind of like I think. We're, by the way, this is not just going to be Hulu and Disney. Um, right. John, yeah, I think uh, ESPN. They're all, everyone is kind of raising their prices. Netflix uh, just did it not too long ago. Uh, but I suspect, you know, now that the streaming services are now becoming the um, the primary way people are consuming their content, not just kind of a convenient thing, but it's really, be, you know, re it's replacing traditional forms of uh, content consumption. I have a feeling this is the way of the future, you know, and uh, and the whole cable cutting um, uh, scenario where you could save a few bucks because you're you're moving away from your cable subscription. This is making this it's making the the the, the savings. Uh, a case a lot, you know, not as compelling. So, uh, let me, actually, let me go to John first because John, you brought this topic up originally. So, let me get your perspective. So, what struck me about this too is you're absolutely right. What you just summarized is absolutely correct. Everybody's starting to raise their prices again, but they don't. It's not like they have a chip shortage or something. There's no <laughs> shipping container costs that are going up, right? They are just raising their prices because they think they can. And right. in the case of the Hulu, what bothered me the most about it was, oh, people will say it's only a dollar, you know, for the cheapest service, which will go from five ninety nine to six ninety nine, and you have ads and all that stuff. And it's like it's only a dollar a month. Yeah, but it's 17% price hike. That's what it is. It's a 17% price hike. 
And so when they do these increases, they're actually a substantial increase. And then you, you add them all up and you're right. The whole cord cutting thing looks like, well, maybe if I did this and I subscribed to this one, but not that one. And you try to do sort of a jigsaw puzzle of these things to make it cheaper. But yeah, I was just kind of appalled. And the only reason is they want to invest more money in original programming. Um, it, it's not like it's costing them more per subscriber or anything like that. It's just they're looking at producing more and Disney yeah. owns Hulu and ESPN. And, uh, you know, so that's why the price are going up. Right. Stuart? Well, this reminds me, this is, reminds me of the great business age, Groucho Marx, um, in Animal Crackers in 1931. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase here. He said that uh, we'll set up, we'll open a restaurant and we'll give them a 75 cent meal that'll knock their eyes out. Once we knock their eyes out, we can charge them anything we want. Um, and so this is what's essentially going on with that's that's the business model that almost every business has followed since the birth of capitalism. Um, and so the case of these guys rising their prices by whatever amount, John is right. This is this has now become a real competition. I remember that Netflix started out as a DVD movie delivery service, essentially. And now there are all of these services are turning into ABC, NBC and CBS, turning out all of this very expensive original content. And this is all about attracting new subscribers. And the only way that you're going to attract new subscribers is to wave seven, better 75 cent meals at them in order to attract them. And of course, if you're going to produce, you know, multi-million dollar productions and you watch some of these shows that they're really well produced and very expensive to produce, well, somebody's going to pay for that. Right. right. No, I, I, I violently agree with that. And I don't, I think what people, um, lose uh, focus on is that each one of these streaming services have now turned into Hollywood yes. class studios. Now, when, when you go back 25 years, you think of the universals, the paramounts, the United artists that, you know, would throw, you know, 10 or $15 million at, at producing a movie. Then they'd spend another 50 or a hundred million dollars, you know, marketing it and getting it out the door. And now you've had this proliferation. Apple has, is obviously in the space and uh, Netflix, obviously. And by the way, the, the content they're doing, to, to Stewart's point, is very high caliber, um, uh, well-produced content. Netflix um, has won a number of Oscars and and has been nominated many many times. And uh, my point is, is that that element of the equation is, I think, a complete you know redo of the of the business model in the entertainment space. Now, having said that, we also have to remember that this is a business. And there are companies out there that because unless you want to make them a regulated agency like a, uh, like the water company or the electric company, if they can raise prices, they will raise prices, you know. Well, this is the same thing. Remember, this is the same thing that happened in the box office race. You know, when television came in, suddenly movie theaters had to compete for eyes. Right. Right. And so as a result, the movies got bigger and gaudier and more expensive. Movie theater, um, um, the rental fees went up. The movie theaters raised their prices. I mean, I, all of us are young enough to, or old enough to remember you could go to the movies for a, 
you know, five bucks. And now what is like 20 bucks to get a, a decent ticket because the movies that are in the movie theaters have to be big enough to get you to want to go to the movies to begin with. So the new James Bond movie, I haven't gotten gone to a movie theater since the pandemic started, but I'm going to go see the new James Bond movie in the movie theater. That's worth seeing on the big screen. You know, and there's a couple of other films that I'm thinking that I might actually want to go to a movie theater to watch. So the same thing is happening on these on these streaming services. They're producing gaudier content. It's costing them more money to produce. And, and they're doing it to be in competition with the other ones who are producing gaudier content. Eventually, all of this will come to a business model change only because it will have to. There'll be some some mergers involved, just there was, like in the movie business when studios merge together. So I think that you're going, you start to see some of the broadcast people start to partner with some of the streaming people to help produce this content and get secondary, you know, it'll premiere on Netflix, but eventually NBC will show it, you know, that sort of thing. You're gonna to start to see some of these only because it's they're gonna to have to do something with the business model. All right. So again, uh, guys, listen. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it, John Stewart. Uh, and by the way, next week is is the Big Apple announcement, and uh, we will uh, certainly be doing probably uh, we haven't scheduled it yet, but we will probably end up doing a um, a special edition of the uh, Smart Tech Chat podcast with John, Rob, and uh, Stewart to recap uh, the big announcements that are going to be uh, talked about uh, next Tuesday. But thanks for uh, joining me, guys, for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please visit Park Associates at www.parkassociates.com. And until next time, have a great week.